0: amen amen you may be seated this morning we're going to continue our verse by verse study in john's gospel so if you'll turn to john's gospel chapter 6 we're going to cover verses 1 through 21 if you need a bible just raise your hand so you can read with us and follow along with us and pastor john will slip you a bible and you can study with us god's word this morning so john chapter 6 verse 1 is where we'll begin and we'll read through verse 21 And let's pray. Father, we ask that you'd bless this time in the study of your word. We thank you for this wonderful time of worship. And Lord, just as we're going to see in our text this morning, as Jesus was feeding the multitude uh, with the spoken word, Lord, we desire to be fed with the written word. And so, Lord, bless our time in studying the scriptures and touch our hearts. And Lord, help us to make application for our own lives. Help our ears to be sensitive to hearing. May we be free from distractions. Remember, we need to turn ringers off our cell phones. And, and Lord, to be attentive because we want to receive from you all that you have for us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so as we move into this chapter, we're going to see that Jesus is at the height of his popularity. And the reason is is because the people are noticing all the signs and miracles that he is beginning to do. and And so they're coming to him in great numbers. Now, I want you to remember that as we look at John's gospel and study it, From the time that we read in chapter 5, Jesus in Jerusalem, and he healed that man that was a paralytic there at the the pool of Bethesda. He told him to to rise up, take up your bed, and walk. A man that had an infirmity for 38 years. We looked at that very carefully a couple weeks ago. From that time until chapter 6 here, as we're going to read about, the familiar story of the feeding of the 5,000, there has a lot that has happened in Jesus' ministry and a lot of events that the synoptic gospels, that is, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have recorded in their narratives. For example, the Sermon on the Mount, the parables of the kingdoms uh, that you read about in Matthew chapter 13, all kinds of healings, uh, those stories that are recorded for us. And we need to keep in mind that John is very selective in what it is that he records. And we know that as we've looked at some of the things and signs that Jesus did at the beginning of his ministry, that is in his first year and a half of ministry, The things that he did in Jerusalem, for example, the first cleansing of the temple, Uh, how Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And then Jesus would meet a Samaritan woman in chapter 4, you recall, and and minister to her and tell her about the living water that he has to offer, and and the wedding feast that he did his first uh, miracle there in Cana, and then another miracle with the nobleman that we looked at last week. And so if it wasn't for John's gospel, we would know really very little of his first year of ministry and the events that we've looked at uh, that I just discussed in John's gospel and so John uh, is very limited in what he's writing about he's writing about seven main miracles and signs and seven statements that I am that is recorded in John's gospel and it's interesting because this time in Jesus public ministry where he will perform many miracles. Again, great multitudes is what uh, the Gospels say are gathered to him and to Galilee. John only spends one chapter writing about that time. And of course, it is the synoptic Gospels that give us a more greater detail of the events that took place during this time. We, when we go into chapter 7, to the end of John's Gospel, chapter 21, we're going to see that john's going to focus on the last few months of jesus ministry as he gets closer to going to the cross of calvary and so here in chapter six it's an interesting chapter because it's very little time that john spends in writing about his galilean ministry but it's an interesting chapter in that we're going to see that he's at the height of his popularity but then as we go through this chapter at the end of the chapter we're going to see that the crowds are going to get smaller, that they're going to begin to leave Jesus. So uh, we'll take note of that as we go through this chapter. Let's begin to look at it in verse one of chapter six, that after these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, uh, a feast of the Jews, was near. So like I mentioned, this event here is recorded in John's gospel, the feeding of the 5,000, but As a lot of you know, that it's also recorded in all four gospel narratives. And as you put the other gospel accounts together, we can get some additional insight uh, to this story here. We know that the feeding of the 5,000 would take place shortly after John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod, and the 12 disciples had just gotten back from their first missionary journey. As you recall, they went out two by two. And we also know from Mark's gospel that it was jesus when they came back from their missionary journey said let's get away let's let's get away to a quiet place let's come aside as the king james says and that's important to note because for you and for me as it's a busy time right now with the height of his popularity jesus doing all kinds of healings and and uh, ministering to the multitudes um, they needed to get away it was his desire for them to come aside and and be in a quiet place And it's the same with you and for me. There are those times daily and special times that we need to be in that place of quietness and solitude before the Lord to be refreshed and to be renewed by the Lord. It's like in Luke chapter 9. You recall that there's Martha in the kitchen as she is making dinner and she's upset and uptight and and tell Mary who was at the feet of Jesus just listening to him and worshiping him, tell her to get in here. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, And you know, whenever Jesus said your name twice, you knew you were gonna be corrected. And Martha, you're distracted by many things. And Jesus wasn't saying that being busy and service isn't important, but what he did say is that Mary has picked the better part, and that is to sit at my feet and listen to me. And I know for me that I can get distracted at times because of the busyness of my life. And I need to remember that those quiet times, those solitude times before the Lord is, is of most importance in my life. And same with you. So as Jesus and his disciples are on this mountain near the Sea of Galilee, we read in verse 2 that as the multitude would follow Jesus, they, they would see the disciples getting uh, away and they followed Jesus and the disciples. They were hoping to to get away to a quiet place but the crowds come to Jesus and as they're coming to him keep in mind that they're not coming to him so much for closeness and and to to know him and to worship him but they're curious about him they're following him because of the miracles that he'd been doing in the Galilee region we know he has been healing every kind of sickness and disease. Verse 2 gives that indication. He's been freeing demoniacs. He's helping those who have no help of being better physically, and that's why they're following him. And Jesus, as we already saw in chapter 4, had rebuked the crowds because he would say to them there at Cana that unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Here's the thing for you and I to remember as Christians, that we can ask uh the lord for healing we can ask the lord uh for uh the things that we desire on our hearts we give him our desires we cast our cares upon him because he cares for us our supplications we 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 give him our requests and he desires for us to do that he said ask please ask that your joy may be full and we're to come to him and we can do that as his children But here's the thing to remember, that our relationship with Him is not just based on what I get from Him. It's based on on who He is and what He has done for you and for me. And He desires to bless us. Every good gift comes from above, and He will not withhold that freely, which is good for us. And if He doesn't give us something that we require, because in eternity's values and views, He's doing what is best in our lives, and we don't always understand that. But we worship Him because He has already given us the very best, hasn't He? And that is the provision of forgiveness of sin and eternal life as we believe in Him and right relationship with the Father. So our relationship with Him isn't just about getting something from Him but it's knowing Him and worshiping Him. And so here's the multitude as, as they follow Jesus and the disciples. There they are. They're over here on this side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, we know, would teach the crowds. He would begin to feed them. And they're in a deserted place. It starts to get late. There's no McDonald's. There's no Wendy's. There's no golden corrals. There's no food for this large crowd. As we continue reading in verse 5, then Jesus lifted up His eyes and seeing a great multitude come towards him, he said to Philip, "Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said, to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So even though the crowds are following after Jesus only because of the signs and miracles he is performing, and at the end of the chapter, as I mentioned to you, we're going to see that many of them are going to walk away from the Lord. Uh, Mark chapter 6 verse 34 for, For you note takers who like to jot down some verses and do some further reading on this, the gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus, as he lifted up his eyes and saw this large crowd, that he had compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them. He began to feed them with spiritual food. And even though they're going to be odd at the physical food that he gives to them, Jesus knew that the spiritual food was even more important. Jeremiah was told by the Lord concerning his people Judah that I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And you see, Jesus, our chief shepherd, he doesn't you know, look at the crowds and, and begin to, to yell at them or uh, you know, begin to uh, blast them, uh, but he fed them. He fed them the spoken word of God, even though they were following him for the wrong reasons. And mom and dads, we know how that worked, don't we? That sometimes that our kids, particularly when they're younger, they'll come to us and they'll want something, and they'll want something for the wrong motives. Well, they'll try to manipulate into getting something, and we see through it. But we still love them, don't we? And we teach them, and we still minister to them, and we still care for them. And that's what Jesus is doing. Is he lifted up his eyes, he had compassion for them. And he's going to feed them with spiritual food. And that's what you and I are to do. And I know for me, as I'm called to be the, the under-shepherd of God's people, under the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, I am called to feed you with spiritual food, to care for you in the way that I can, that God's called me to, to help you, to, to love the people, not to just be frustrated and beat the sheep or you know, manipulate or whatever but what Jeremiah said, that I will give you shepherds according to my heart that will feed you with knowledge and with understanding, and that is a true shepherd's heart. You see, it's more than just being a teacher, and it's the same with us as parents. It's more than just being a teacher, but it's being a shepherd. For me, being a pastor, uh, having a heart that God has given me to minister to, not to just be concerned about how popular I am or, you know, exalting or promoting myself or being in the limelight, those things are carnal. But to really care for the people and to really shepherd them and guard and feed. And and the same with you as you're desiring to shepherd your kids or people that you may be discipling. We're to feed them and to love them and have compassion for them. And Jesus here is looking at all these people coming to him and he turns to Philip, testing him. Hey, where are we going to buy bread? It's getting late. There's no food stores around. The people are hungry. Now it is interesting again that Mark's narrative gives them, us some further insight that Mark says that the disciples response was as Jesus said hey how are we going to feed these people? What are we going to do? That they said let's get rid of them. Let's tell them to depart and sometimes when we face difficult circumstances that that's our first reaction. Let's just get rid of the problem. Let's just dismiss it. Let's, let's do something. Get rid of that problem and send it away. But Jesus doesn't want to do this. He desires for them to minister to the people even though it's a difficult situation, even though they don't know what to do. And remember that as Jesus turns to Philip and says, what are we going to do? He's not asking for advice. He knows what he's going to do. Jesus isn't in a panic, he isn't fretting, he isn't, oh no, we got this big problem on our hands, he knows what he's going to do. I'm very thankful that the Lord does that with you and with me, because we can find ourselves in difficult situations where, you know, we think, oh, what, what are we going to do? And, and we can picture God must be up in heaven panicking. Okay, Jeff, what are we going to do with this situation? No, he, he has a plan. We're in the Father's hand. He knows what he's going to do with us and so we can trust in that and rest in him so philip has asked this question and why did jesus ask philip and there's different speculations it could be because uh, philip here we know was from this area he was from Bethsaida, where this is uh, near the area where it's taken place hey you're from around here philip where can they get some dinner it could be that philip was just happened to be standing next to jesus we don't know But Philip answered him in verse 7, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. So Philip begins immediately to count the money. Let's throw money at the problem. We can solve the problem if we just have enough money. We only have 200 denarii, and it's not enough to feed everyone. Not everyone's even going to get a little bit of food. So here is Philip counting the money. And, you know, in the world, in our society definitely with our government especially, we can think that money is the answer to all the challenges and problems that we face. Now I know that we need money to run services, of course we do, but we find ourselves in that mentality as a nation, that we're 17 a half trillion dollars in debt. The unfounded liability that we're facing is at 62 trillion dollars. Now that's a huge number that we can't hardly comprehend, a trillion dollars. A trillion dollars, if you took one dollar bills and you stacked them on top of each other, to get to one trillion dollars, that stack would be 68,000 miles high. If you place one dollar bills, you know, end to end, it would reach 96 million miles, the distance from the earth to the sun. I mean, you can buy a lot of stuff for a a trillion bucks, but money doesn't solve all the problems that we have, does it? And I hope that you know that to be true. And I want us to be reminded of this, that there will always be a debt in your life spiritually if you're only looking to money and you're not primarily looking to the master you're going to find yourself being bankrupt spiritually. So here's Philip counting the money, and in verse 8, one of his disciples, uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? So Andrew, who's Peter's brother, we see that he's one that's always kind of bringing people to Jesus. We saw in chapter 1, he was the one that brought his brother Peter to Jesus. We'll see that later on in John's Gospel, that Andrew brings some Greeks to Jesus. And so he has kind of a neat ministry. He's bringing people to Jesus. He brings this young boy here in John 6. Hey, here's a young boy. He has five barley loaves and two small fish. I just wonder what the reaction of the other disciples were. If they start to snicker, they're sitting there shaking their heads, going, Andrew, come on, look at all the people here, and you think a couple, you know, barley loaves and a couple fish are going to feed these people? What's the matter with you? There's so many people. And maybe perhaps they're thinking that, and I wonder if Andrew's thinking, well, maybe this isn't, yeah, there's so many among us, isn't there? But here's the thing to remember. As they're thinking this, what help or hope can we have with this little boy with such little food? We have this huge amount of people. And sometimes in our own circumstances and situations that we face in life, they seem very huge. It seems like there's so little hope, so little resources that we have. And you might be thinking that I have so little strength to deal with this. I just want to remind us that as we read the scriptures, it seems like the Lord loves to delight in using a little to do a lot. And some of you here this morning, you need something big to happen. You need something big to happen in your family, perhaps in the workplace, with relationships. You think that it isn't going to happen, and it isn't going to work. And all I have is a few fish and a few loaves, but God takes what little we have as we give it to him, and he does a big work. Remember that it was a young teenager, a little young teenager that had a little stone and a little sling, and he used it to take down the champion giant Goliath. God used the little maiden girl to lead Naaman, who was the mighty Syrian general, to Elijah for healing. Remember that it was Gideon who was the least in his family, and his family was the least in his tribe, and his tribe was the least of all the tribes of Israel. And Gideon, you are going to be a mighty man of valor. That's going to lead with 300 other guys against 135,000 Midianites that have oppressed you. And the Lord here is going to use a small boy to feed thousands as he takes what little that this boy has to give to do a miracle and to feed the multitude. As verse 10, then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Again, Mark's gospel gives us some more insight that they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and there were 5,000 men. That's just the men. So with the women and children, it it very easily is a a much larger number, maybe perhaps 15 to 20,000 people in totality. In verse 4, we know that it was near Passover. So in the hillsides of Galilee, the grass is green and there's flowers that are all over the hillsides. It's very beautiful, and as I read this, I can't help think about what David wrote a thousand years before this event of John chapter six, is that familiar psalm, Psalm 23, "That the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want." He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters." And the good shepherd Jesus Christ desires to bring us to the green pastures to feed us and to bless us and to really be fed and renewed and refreshed in the Lord. We need to learn to sit and be still before the Lord as we've been discussing. And I don't know about you, but for me in my life, I can always be on the fly. I can always kind of have the mindset I got five minutes before I have to leave. And I believe that the Lord perhaps would say to some of us here this morning that I want you to slow down and I want you to sit down and I want you to be fed and refreshed as you just focus and turn to me and as you read my word. And verse 11, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. I love the, the patience of our Lord. He doesn't turn to his disciples and say, you know, you bozos, get out of the way. You have no idea what I'm about to do. Just get out of the way and let me do this miracle. He meets them where they're at. They're learning, they're growing, and, and I'm going to use you guys. I'm going to teach you guys have the crowds. This is what you're to do. Just sit down in fifties and hundreds. Can you do that? Okay. And here's the bread and here's the fish. And at first, I'm sure that the disciples were thinking, okay, but you know, only the first row is going to get dinner. And that what they're going to see is what our Lord can do with little that is given to him. As Jesus takes a limited resource that was given to him by a boy, five loaves and two fish, and he blessed it and he gave it out. And verse 11 tells us very clearly, plainly, that they had as much as they wanted. The other gospels tell us that they were all filled, kind of like the guys coming out breakfast yesterday after being at Golden Corral. So you might be saying that in your own life that I don't have much to give, I don't have many talents or a lot of knowledge. My giftings are not much. But here's the thing. As you say in your heart that all I have to give to you, Lord, is a couple loaves and fish. It isn't much. I only have a little bit of strength. Just as the Church of Philadelphia the faithful church that Jesus commended that you have a little strength but you put it in the Lord's hand and let him bless and work and he very well could be saying to some here this morning that I want you to give what little that you have to give to me and trust me (laughs) and you know when you're going to be most blessed is when you're given out When you let the Lord use what little that you have to touch and help someone else because you gave that which you had and you gave it to the Lord so that he could bless it and he could multiply it. And you know what else that you'll find? You're going to find that the blessing is going to come back to you. Because I want to bring attention to verse 12 and 13. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets. Isn't that interesting? 12 baskets, how many disciples? They each got a basket full of leftover of bread and fish. And I want us to remember what God's word declares to us. The the measure that you give out will be given back to you. And it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That as you are giving what you have to the Lord to give to others, to minister to others, even though it would be a lot easier to send them away perhaps at times. That as you do that and trust in the Lord and let him work in what he wants to do in your life and using you, you're going to get a basket full of blessing. Do you know that? And the Lord's going to use it to where you are going to be marveling at great things that he is doing and just tremendous blessing is waiting for all of us if we give out to others maybe as we talk about children's ministry and giving to the children that you might be thinking i don't have a whole lot to give but the lord's laid in on your heart will you trust in the lord or what joan shared about with grief share and that ministry and being a part of it Lord I don't know, you know, but but I have a heart for those who are grieving and have gone through loss. As you give it to the Lord, he wants to bless and use you. And whatever it is that you're doing, where he's placed you and what he has on your heart, that as you trust in him and giving because he does want to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. So verse 14, then those men when they had seen the sign that Jesus did said this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world the people of israel long for the messiah to come and the messiah that moses had spoken of in deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15 that the lord your god will raise up uh, for you a prophet like me from your midst from your brethren him you shall hear When Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years with his people, God fed the people bread from heaven. And now they are being fed bread by Jesus. And Jesus, later in the chapter, is going to say that you received bread from heaven in the desert, but my Father has now given you true bread from heaven. And that is me, the bread of life. And we're going to see that they're not going to understand. But verse 15, therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Didn't Jesus want them to come to him? Didn't Jesus want them to believe in him, that he was the Messiah? Then why, when they were coming to crown him as king, why didn't he accept that? Why would he, as the other gospels say, he dismissed the crowd? Here he leaves the crowds, when they're about ready to make him king well again they were only coming because he fed them with bread and fish and that miracle feeding and they thought did you just see what he did he fed us with just a few loaves and a few fish and if we crown him as king we'll never go hungry again he's been healing us of every kind of sickness we'll never be sick again And he'll probably throw off the yoke of Rome, we will be free from the political and uh, oppression of Rome. But they did not understand that they needed to be freed from a greater, greater need, and that is to be freed from sin. That they needed to be fed by him with spiritual food and come into relationship with him he was the bread of life that came from heaven and jesus would say on that hillside in galilee blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled jesus says the words that i speak to you are spirit and life that if you truly want to be my disciple then you need to deny yourself pick up your cross and follow after me and they're going to go what what do you mean where's the dessert you know and we don't want to be a people that we only come to jesus because we want to name it or claim it or demand something like what you see so much in the prosperity movement and it's very tragic so jesus dismisses the crowds he departs to be by himself on the mountain alone where we know from the other gospels he's praying to the father now when evening came his disciples went down to the sea and got into the boat and went over the to sea towards Capernaum, and it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. So we know, again, from the other gospel narratives that it was Jesus that had told his disciples to get into that boat and go back across the Sea of Galilee. So he dismisses the crowds, he dismisses his disciples, he goes to the mountain to pray. This is all in Matthew chapter 14, and he finally gets to be alone, and what does he do? He prays to the Father. So a good question is, what is it that we do when we're alone? And I know that there are times we're alone that we love to relax, perhaps read a book, um, you know, whatever it might be. Um, But here's the thing that I want to encourage you. When you find yourself where it is quiet, take advantage of that time, redeem that time, and take time to perhaps say, you know what, I'm going to read the scriptures for a little while. I'm going to pray to my Father, I'm just going to listen to some praise music. And you're going to find yourself, again, being refreshed and renewed in those quiet times that we can take opportunity to come to the Lord and spend that time with him. So that's what Jesus is doing. He's praying to his Father as he finds himself alone. And so Jesus is praying. Here are the disciples. They're in a boat, you know, rowing away, trying to get to the other side. It's dark, and Jesus hadn't come to them. Have you ever felt that way? Where it's dark in your life and you feel like Jesus isn't there for you. And I know that a lot of you have felt that way at some time in your life. Maybe you might feel that way here this morning. That this story is for you. When we go into the book of Esther, that wonderful story of Esther being used of the Lord. But in chapter 4, when we get there, we're going to see that the decree has been made that God's people, the Jews, are to be destroyed. And they wailed and they wept and they lamented because this decree had come out. It's definitely a dark time in their history. But God had a plan. And God wasn't absent. And God was going to work. Just as He's going to work in our story here and just as He's going to work in your life. And not only is it dark, but verse 18, then the sea arose because of a great wind was blowing. Not only are they finding themselves where it's dark, but they find themselves in a storm. Again, some insight in the other gospels, the wind that was contrary to them. So you got to give these guys credits. Jesus told them, go on the other side. They're trying to row. They're, you know, coming against the wind. It would have been a lot easier for them to give up and go back. Forget this. But we read that in verse 19, so when they had crossed... About three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. I mean, if it was dark and you saw somebody walking on the water, you'd be afraid too. We know that the other Gospels say that they thought it was a ghost. And Jesus, he goes and he cries out to them as he goes to them, that it is I, do not be afraid. And then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going when it is dark when you find yourself in a storm when you feel like that you're getting nowhere in your present situation or circumstance that it'd be a lot easier just to quit to give up you know that he has told you through his word to keep going to keep rowing and you're wondering Lord where are you? knows that he is with you and he comes to you even this morning in the dark storming time that you might be going through and he declares to you that he will never leave you or forsake you that he's not going to abandon you and that he's interceding on your behalf and he's watching you he was praying he was watching the disciples he knew that they were in difficulty and he sees your present situation, and he's there with you, and he says to you and to me this morning, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm going to help you to get to the other side, and I'll never leave you. And remember this, that this is happening after the height of his popularity, after they came back all excited from going out two by two. They're seeing miracles. Uh, It's a happening time for them. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in this difficult situation, and the same thing can happen to us. That things are going good, and things are going great, and we're seeing God work in our lives, and, 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 and things are just wonderful, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in a storm and difficult time. And just as he was with you in the good times, and when God is working, you're saying, yeah, God is with us, he is still with you, all right? And he's still going to work. And we need to know that even in the dark, stormy times of our lives, he will never leave us or forsake us. So, Father, thank you. We thank you for this time in your word. We thank you that we can come to the communion table right now and Holding the elements in our hands, we can, Lord, remember what Jesus has done for us, and allowing His body to be broken, and His blood shed for forgiveness of sin. Lord, I do want to pray if there's anyone here in this service, in this sanctuary, or out in the coffee shop, that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You see, as John's gospel is recorded this the greatest need has been provided for you and that is the need to be freed from sin and that is comes by jesus knowing that he died for your sins on calvary's cross he was buried and he rose again after three days and he is our salvation there is no other salvation there's no other sacrifice for sin as the writer of hebrews says And we know that the gospel message tells us that our sin has separated us from God, and every one of us have sinned. But forgiveness is provided to the one who comes in faith as you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, and he is the source of eternal life. You can't earn it. It doesn't come by your own merit. Jesus is the author of eternal life and only him, and no one comes to the Father but through him and it comes by faith as you believe in him if you're one that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus maybe you've gone to church maybe you thought you're okay you're a good person it's faith in Jesus Christ and a surrendered heart to him that brings salvation and if that means anything to anyone here this morning will you pray this prayer that Jesus I come I come and I now turn to you. I repent. I turn direction from where I'm going and I surrender my life to you. Will you be my personal Lord and Savior? I believe that you're the Son of God who died for me on the cross and you were put into a grave and you rose again from the dead. And I now open my heart to you for you to sit on the throne of my heart in my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer and thank you for saving me and making provision for me to have forgiveness and eternal life that comes through you. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. And if you prayed that prayer, when we close the service, will you come and pray with Pastor John and tell him the decision that you made? Or come and grab me after the service so we can pray with you and minister to you. But right now, as we come to the communion table, as we hold the elements in our hands, we'll partake of them together May this be a time of just awe and worship of what Jesus has done for us in this new covenant that we've entered into, relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, just bless this time. Just minister to our hearts, knowing that he's here with us. In Jesus' name, amen.